Welcome to the My World, My Time podcast. In this series, I'm traveling back in time to interview historical figures who have made a positive difference in the world. Have you ever been told you couldn't do something because of your age or gender or society's expectations for you? In this episode, we're going to talk with a lady who defied expectations and the restrictions of society time and time again to leave a lasting legacy of service. This is Episode 3, Clara Barton. We're on air in three... Today is May 20th, 1881, and we're in Maryland to interview Clara Barton, nurse, philanthropist, and founder of the American Red Cross. Good morning, Miss Barton, and thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Of course, but please call me Clara. Okay, Clara then. Um, Can you start off by sharing a little bit about your childhood and what you were like then? For others, I think my defining characteristic as a child was always my incredible shyness. I believe my parents despaired of ever curing me of it. (laughs) It was the same with me. Really? People always said I was shy, but I never felt shy. Was it like that with you? Oh, yes. I wasn't shy in the sense that I was afraid of talking to people. What I was afraid of was making a mistake giving the wrong answer and looking foolish. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Me too. To this day, I would rather stand behind the lines of artillery at Antietam or cross the pontoon bridge under fire at Fredericksburg than to sit in a parlor and make small talk. So you were uncomfortable in social situations, but not at all timid in other ways. Is that right? Oh, yes. I spent a great deal of my childhood playing with my boy cousins in what my mother called an unladylike manner. (laughs) I remember one winter they had spent a great deal of time ice skating on a pond. However, at that time, it was unacceptable for a girl to skate. Of course, I have never been one to follow senseless rules and ridiculous conventions. So one night, I snuck out to join them. It was a beautiful, clear night. And sliding across the pond at such speeds was exhilarating. However, I fell and cut my knee very badly indeed. I tried to hide it from my parents for a few days, but... It became infected, and they eventually found out. They were quite shocked at my tomboyish behavior. (laughs) I like what you said about ignoring senseless rules. You've become known as quite the social rule breaker, haven't you? I suppose so. It irritates me to be told how things have always been done. Just because something has always been done a certain way does not mean that is the best way to do it. As a matter of fact... About 25 years after that little skating incident, I saw my father out on the same pond, carefully fitting skates to the feet of his granddaughters. (laughs) You see, there is always room for progress and change. It seems like you've had to fight against precedent in almost everything you've done. I mean, now it's acceptable for women to be nurses, but when you first began nursing during the Civil War, that wasn't the case. So how did you get started? At the beginning of the war, I was living in Washington, D.C. When the first group of wounded soldiers were shipped there, I met them at the train station. They were wounded, hungry, and extremely short on supplies. This opportunity was something I had been waiting for. I was well and strong and young. I thought, if I can't be a soldier myself, then I'll help the soldiers. 
and eventually your work took you onto the battlefields, is that right? Yes, but it was quite a fight to get there. You see, the War Department did not want me there because I was a woman. It took over a year for me to get permission to work on the front lines. After you began working on the front lines, you said that your post was, quote, on the open field between the bullet and the hospital. <laughs> that sounds a bit nerve-wracking. Were you afraid at all? At times I may be compelled to face danger, but I am never forced to fear it. Fear is a choice, and I choose not to be afraid. That doesn't mean the whistling of bullets did not make my heart pound faster. <sighs> but I refuse to let concerns for my safety stop me from helping. If our young soldiers had the courage to stand and fight, then I could have the courage to stand and nurse them. Bullets or no bullets. I heard you had quite a close call one time, though. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. I was on the battlefield seeing to an injured soldier. As I knelt beside him and reached out to support his head, a musket ball passed between my body and my right arm, which supported him cutting through my sleeve and passing through his chest. There was no more to be done for him, and I left him to his rest. But I never mended that hole in my sleeve. Wow, that's incredible. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it was like for you, seeing the war up close? I cannot and will not speak of the glories of conquering armies, but only the misery left in their tracks— how while they march on in glory, the common soldier must follow, toiling in the rain and darkness with no thought of glory or reward, hearts breaking, faces bathed in tears and hands in blood. This is the side of war which history never shows. And this is the side of things that you wish to help with? Uh, not just the bodies bathed in blood, but the faces bathed in tears as well? Yes, it is all part of it. A good nurse knows that healing the spirit is just as important as healing the body. So, what kinds of things did you do to help nurse their spirits? I would talk with them, read books to them, help them write letters to their families. But most of all, I would just listen. Listen to all they needed to share. <laughs> no wonder they called you the angel of the battlefield. <laughs> but your compassion for the soldiers and their families it didn't stop when the war ended, did it? After the war, the needs simply changed. I began receiving letters from families who were anxious for any news of soldiers who had not returned. So I wrote to President Lincoln and asked for permission to become the government's official correspondent to help find those who had vanished. And you were soon flooded with letters, is that right? I received thousands of letters asking for help. At times, I received as many as 150 letters in one day. I brought on help because it quickly became too much for me to do by myself. And how did you find the missing men? Mostly I spoke with the returning soldiers, asking them to tell me of comrades that didn't make it. I also visited prisoner of war camps and grave sites. How many men were you able to find? It took about four years, but eventually we were able to identify around 22,000 missing soldiers. Wow. It truly was a blessing to be able to lighten, at least a little, the grief of so many suffering people. If I make one heart stronger or one war less bitter, I regard it as a blessing forever. After you closed the missing soldier's office, you headed to Europe, is that right? Yes. I was supposed to be there for some rest, but I've never been very good at resting. <laughs> I always feel that I must have some occupation or else I'm simply wasting time. 
And you didn't waste your time on this trip, did you? Uh, Isn't that when you discovered the Red Cross? That is correct. I was in Geneva, Switzerland when I was first introduced to the International Red Cross. Right about that time, the Franco-Prussian War started, and I stayed to help the Red Cross provide aid. I loved the idea of an aid society that would provide help to anyone who needed it. When I returned home, however, President Hayes refused to let me start the Red Cross in America. Really? Why? Because he was certain that America would never see another war where there would be a need for it. How did the Red Cross get started here then? When President Arthur took office, I was able to convince him that the American Red Cross could help in more than just war, that we could help during times of natural disaster, such as earthquakes, fires, or hurricanes. He finally agreed, and we have our inaugural meeting of the American Red Cross tomorrow. You must be so excited. What is your hope or vision for the American Red Cross? I see an organization that will grow until it covers the whole United States. A vast network of volunteers who will stand ready to help those in need at any moment and in any circumstance. I see the Red Cross becoming an essential part of this nation. And like an oak tree, its spreading branches will shelter all those in need of relief. Clara, you have accomplished so much already, but I'm sure it has been more difficult than many people realize. What has been one of your biggest challenges? I think, hmm, I think it would have to be the close-mindedness of people. I can't skate with the boys because I'm a girl. I can't become a nurse because it's too dangerous. And now they tell me I can't run the Red Cross because I'm 60 and they think that is too old. What a ridiculous (laughs) notion. No one is ever too old to help others. (laughs) I agree. But what do you do to overcome those negative assumptions? I simply defy such excuses. Because that is what they are. Excuses to justify to ourselves why we are not doing what we know we should. We cannot afford the luxury of a closed mind when there are so many who need our help. For those who want to do something more, what is your best advice for how to make the world a better place? We must reach out and help and heal one another. We do not need more vain men to lead us into battles. We need more people, men and women, who are willing to do the harder work of healing. When you see a need, you must not think about whether you like it or not, or whether the sacrifice you must make to help is bearable or not. If you truly want to make a difference, you must never think of anything except the need and how to meet it. You are a great example to me of selfless service and the courage to defy conventions. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today, Clara. We wish you all the best in your new adventures with the American Red Cross. Thank you. It has been a real pleasure. The next day, May 21st, 1881, the American Red Cross was officially organized with Clara Barton as president. Her vision for the Red Cross was realized, and today it continues to offer relief, not only to the United States, but to people around the world. Clara served as president of the American Red Cross for 23 years until she finally retired at the age of 83. Never content to simply watch others sacrifice, Clara Barton devoted her life to healing the broken bodies and broken spirits of all those in need, no matter what rules or conventions she had to defy to do it. 
thank you for listening to episode three of the My World, My Time podcast. There are more inspiring stories to come. Make sure you don't miss them by subscribing to our podcast today. For more information on My World, My Time and how you can make a difference, go to www.myworldmytime.org. Here you can sign up to receive all our blog posts, updates on my upcoming books, speaking engagements, and more. This is My World, My Time, reminding you to do something big or do something small, but do something to make a difference today.